Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 65. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. And today, we're going to talk about two sizzling cult classics. The first is a sexy biker drama set in a small town, as well as a true crime adaptation about a serial killer who fed his victims to restaurant patrons in Macau. So let's get into the first movie. The first is The Loveless. Now, The Loveless, depending on who you talk to, was released in 1981, 1982, 1983, uh, or even 1984. Um, <clears throat> the Loveless was co-directed by Catherine Bigelow and Monty Montgomery. It has been critically panned through the passage of time. I've, I have found some critics just don't understand the subtlety or the subtext of this movie, in my opinion. Put it this way. If you have seen The Loveless, if you love The Loveless, then you can appreciate the sort of quiet, rebellious youth thing that's going on in the movie. The quiet, rebellious rebellious youth who's often harshly judged by square society, especially when this movie took place, which was like the very early 60s. These uh, harsh critics of this movie, I don't think they seem to grasp the don't fuck with me and I won't fuck with you attitude of the characters in this movie. The sort of brooding young man archetype that represents our lead character character Vance played by Willem Dafoe you know when people talk about this movie you know they they don't recognize the characters as characters they sort of write them off as caricatures and they're not caricatures at all the levelist is it's the story of two worlds clashing together, you know, like, like the, put it this way. It's like Norman Rockwell meets Tom of Finland. If you, <laughs> if you're familiar with those two artists, imagine those two worlds just clashing together. The Loveless is a very simple story. It's a very cool movie. It's very cool. And if you're not cool, this whole movie will just fly right over your square head. This movie's been compared to The Wild One, the wonderful Marlon Brando, Lee Marvin, 1953 classic. And to that, I would say barely. There's the, the really the only two things that the, the Loveless and The Wild One have in common is biker gang comes to small town and there's kind of a love interest and uh, in the small town and if you pay close attention Willem Dafoe's leather jacket in The Loveless and Marlon Brando's jacket in The Wild One they're basically the same jacket black jacket they have the kind of shiny 
sort of uh, American general star, a single star on each shoulder. You know, other than that, there's the, the two movies have like nothing in common, really. In a commentary track for The Loveless um, on the uh, Blue Underground release DVD of The Loveless, uh, co-director Monty Montgomery says the primary influence for The Loveless was uh, Scorpio Rising, the directed by Kenneth Anger, the 1964 short film that, like The Loveless, has a lot of style. It's not style over substance type situation. The style is the substance. Again, the Norman Rockwell meets Tom of Finland kind of thing where you look at the images and the images sort of, you can, you can kind of extract or infer what's going on just based on what you're being shown. And some, and some people might say that this movie is kind of slow and boring, but really it's, it's the movie's giving you time to look at the individual scenes and giving you time to extract what's is happening. You know, what what's there's like a there's an early scene in the movie that takes place in a diner. And really the whole entire there's just one uncut shot of Willem Dafoe comes in and then he go, he walks in the diner and then he just goes and sits down at a booth and just, it's just looking out the window and it's like, and you get a couple interesting cutaway shots to sort of things in the diner, just to kind of set up the feeling of the place. But just in those images, it gives you time to sort of process like where he is, what this world is, what era uh, it is, you know, it's not, everything's not being spoon fed to you, which the wild one, is if you watch both these movies back to back, holy crap! There is un there's <laughs> it's just nonstop talking in the wild one. People are constantly telling you what's going on at every single moment. There's always someone chatting and yammering, except for Marlon Brando's character. He's just like which which makes the movie really interesting. Is he's sort of this quiet, brooding, rebellious guy who's not he's not like all the other wild dudes in his biker gang. He's, he's sort of reserved and introspective and, and very handsome as well. So he's, he's sort of magnetic in that way. But in the loveless, things are very subdued. Like the biker gang, isn't the screaming wild manic group of guys. Okay. It's very subdued. So your eyes can kind of soak in, what's going on you can kind of sort of fan fiction in your mind like where do these guys come from who are they and to me that's incredibly interesting because i don't need a movie to just spoon feed me shit the entire time i think the wild one's an exception of like a movie that's constantly having characters say out loud what's going on and it's actually tolerable the movie has a good pace the wild one is played on the title characters uh, TV in Scorpio Rising. Just getting back to Scorpio Rising, <laughs> um, so I, I actually would urge you go 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 watch Scorpio Rising. It's not that long; it's like thirty something minutes long, and there's no dialogue. It's just music. Okay, it's like 
Ray Charles and <laughs> like it's got all this good music in it, but there's no dialogue. Okay, and in Scorpio Rising, the main character whose name is Scorpio, um, he's in his room and the wild one is playing on a little TV in his room. Okay, and you see him like suiting up to, you know, go out and party. You know, he's like snorting meth and and then <laughs> You know, he's putting on his cool biker rings and his leather jacket and shit, and then he just ends up just uh, dying in a motorcycle crash. Spoilers for Scorpion, Scorpio Rising. But uh, yeah, check out Kenneth Anger's work. He's really good stuff. Very avant-garde, very esoteric. Lots of homoerotic and occult flavor to everything. Um, Kenneth Anger actually passed away this year. He passed away in May. It was... 96 years old. Nice job, Kenneth Anger. Anyways, let's get back to the Loveless. So, we meet the character of Vance, played by Willem Dafoe. And this is actually his first credited role, and it's a leading role. So, along with Vance is his, uh, his handful of friends that are just tough greaser biker guys okay the strong silent types you know they aren't over the top they're not wild goons you know like in the wild ones this isn't uh i don't know what's uh uh, werewolves on wheels (laughs) you ever see that um it's like one of those biker exploitation movies but there's like this horror element to it um, a lot of the old biker movies like the Peter Fonda Jack Nicholson type movies it's usually like like crime and drug related and things like that but werewolves on wheels is like violent biker gang movie but there's werewolves and the occult and magic and <laughs> and yeah yeah the the loveless is not that it's very subdued um so so our little gang of bikers they're on their way to Daytona that's in Florida they're on their way to uh, Daytona I mean they don't say but it probably for Daytona bike week if I had to guess Daytona bike week's been going on since like the 1930s or something like that so I'm guessing that's what they're on their way to do uh, one of Vance's crew, his bike breaks down, and they need to hold up in this little small rural town in Georgia for a day to get it fixed. And the whole movie takes place in a day, basically. So I got to say, the the amount of Americana in this film is, it's like being, <laughs> it's great. It's like being wrapped in a warm American flag. <laughs> This movie's like eating apple pie with melted cheese on top, drinking a bottle of Coca-Cola, sitting on a Harley Davidson. Like the the amount of um, <laughs> Americana is so thick. You know, it's 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 fifties diners, it's black leather jackets, cigarettes, it's rock and roll. Okay, so visually this this movie is a visual medium. It's meant to be seen. 
you know. And while Vance's crew is hanging out in town, they're hanging out this like rented auto body garage next to uh, like a gas station. And they rent out the place and they're like, okay, this is where we're going to hold up while, you know, our dude is fixing his bike. It's at a, it's like at the only gas station in town probably. And while they're there just hanging out, the character of uh, Talina played by Marin Cantor, who was in the movie, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains, which is a movie that I covered in episode 45 of Skeleton Factory. It was a, it was uh it was basically an episode about rebellious young women. Like, uh, let's see, I did, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains, out of the blue, and smithereens. That was a good episode. Uh, so, if you want to hear about that, I'd recommend going to episode forty-five of Skeleton Factory and listening to that episode. So. Uh, yeah, so Talina uh, pulls in uh, to get a to, to top off her 1960 red Corvette convertible. Very cool car. When, um, she, you know, she's getting gas when uh, Vance kind of struts over to her and says, uh, <laughs> what's a bum got to do to drive this thing? And then like the Robert Gordon, you know, uh, score kind of swells. And uh, Talina says, just turn the key. <laughs> so, obviously, he's hitting on her, obviously. So, the two of them jump in her car and go for a, go to a, for a drive in the country. And while they're driving, Vance explains he met his whole biker crew in prison. And this is like one line of dialogue that just kind of goes right past, but... I had to go back and be like, whoa, I had to just look it up. I'm like, what, a, what was that about? So, okay. So there, he's, she's, he's driving Talina's Corvette and he says like, yeah, I met my whole crew in prison and, uh, he was in, he explains he was in prison under the, what was called the man act. And she's like, whoa, what's the man act? And then he just changes the subject Okay, so the the Manac um, was basically was the Manac was a sort of vaguely worded human trafficking law that was intended to prohibit the transportation of underage, specifically white girls, for the purposes of prostitution or just general immoral purposes. So. <laughs> That so Vance got arrested under the Man Act, which means he was probably doing something immoral with an underage girl. Talina's possibly an underage girl, by the way, because Marin Cantor is she looks really young. So, and by really young, I mean it's like she's rather she's one of those girls who's like rather sixteen or. 20 it's kind of hard to tell she's kind of has this girlish look to her and um so yeah so we we the movie drops little things like that in your lap to remind you that no matter how likable these biker guys are 
that they there's they'll do dirt. They're, they're, they're they've got a past. They're it's they're not above you know breaking the law when it when it when it suits them. So Vance and Talina stop into a uh, a motel and have themselves some premarital vaginal sex and were even treated to a glimpse at the uh, sexy motel uh, sex scene were treated to a glimpse of Willem Dafoe's storied dong and balls very nice very nice for a um, you know for your first movie their post-coital moment is interrupted by the sound of a shotgun blast. And Talina's far, uh, father, character of Tarver, is outside the motel and he shoots out her tires. And then he busts into the room and takes Talina away. Uh, Tarver is sort of the resident town asshole, rich guy, good old boy. He's just unlikable in every scene. He hates these greaser biker fellows rolling into his town. He, And it's pretty obvious the way Tarver's character is that he, he really kind of envies these biker guys' freedom. The fact that these freewheeling, freewheeling guys can kind of come and go wherever they please and they're super cool and everything like he just can't deal with that. And he just attributes that to, they must be commies. <laughs> so uh, again, this is the early 60s. So, you know, a lot of uh, anti-commie rhetoric freely flowing. And um, after this, after, uh, you know, Talina's father Tarver takes her away. Um, yeah, Vance just is like, he doesn't even react when he comes in. He's not like, Hey man, what's the big deal? <laughs> like he just watches her. He watches Tarver just grab Talina and take her away and drive off. He's just like, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then he just casually sits down and just watches TV. <laughs> so, um, again, Vance is very, it's not the, it's not the most emotional guy. You know what I mean? He's, he's a dark, quiet, brooding dude. Which is having Willem Dafoe play that character is perfect because he just, his face will kind of just tell you everything, you know? So, after Tarver's driving off with Talina and um, he's driving down the road and Vance's homies are driving, coming from the opposite way on their bikes and Tarver... <laughs> so, so, there's one thing I've noticed... Uh, Vance and his crew, they rarely like pay attention to like, like they don't recognize that there's a thing. There's such a thing as lanes on roads. They just kind of swerve between lanes freely. And, um, this happens again, this, uh, Tarver has to swerve to avoid hitting the, the, the crew of, you know, bikers and he ends up running off the road. So, I mean, Tarver and Talina are fine. She actually ends up getting, like, cut on her cheek. You know, that kind of sucks. But other than that, they're they're alive. And we kind of jump to later that night at a, the local lounge named simply 
Lounge. Which looks like the coolest little shithole bar you've ever seen, really. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's a real place, that bar. And um, I don't know if it's still standing, but if it is, I would love to go there and have a drink sometime. But, so they're at, the, they're at the lounge, and Vance and his crew are there. And the, uh, you know, the local people from the diner, pretty much everyone in town is there because that's small town. That's just, there's like one place to go and that's where everyone goes. Uh, you know, you have in the corner, you have the local diner waitress doing a strip tease and there's music playing and drinks are being poured. It looks like fun, but, but troubles a brewing. The uh, uh, Tarver and his brother, uh, maybe cousin, maybe both. I'm not sure. That's a that's an inbred joke. Um, the two of them are in the men's room and they're drunk. And Tarver's basically like, let's just call him his brother. <laughs> maybe it's his cousin. I don't know. He's basically like, he's drunk. He's like, you know what? We, we need to kill those fucking bikers. You know, there's not too many of them and they probably don't have families. No one's going to miss them. You know, they're probably commies. So we should, we should just fucking kill them. Like as soon as they leave the bar, wait till they get down the road a little bit and shoot the fuck out of them. So, but just then one of the biker dudes walks into the bathroom to take a pee pee and Tarver and his fucking brother cousin is kind of shooting him, uh, shooting him a look like, how dare you pee in a bathroom with civilized people? How dare you? And the biker guy is kind of looking at him, looking at him like, whatever, man. And meanwhile, in the bar, everyone's having a good time and hanging out. And all of a sudden, bursting out of the bathroom is Tarver with the biker. In a bear hug. So the dude was just standing there. The biker's just standing at the urinal taking a piss. And what it looks like happened is Tarver pants the dude, like dr- pulled his pants down to his ankles, grabbed the dude in a bear hug because he's holding his dick, right? So his arms are kind of nestled tightly at his side. Picks him up in a bear hug and then runs him out into the middle of the bar in front of everyone, causing quite the commotion. And the other bikers jump up and they're like, immediately armed (laughs) like they have brass knuckles they have guns they're ready to fight and just then just before like full-on bar brawls about to take place the bar door swings open and it's talina and she has a gun of her own and she just opens fire on tarver her her own father lights him up killing him and the rest of the bikers yell at this point they're just they just (laughs) they're just like yahoo and just start start shooting up the fucking bar okay beer signs are exploding everywhere patrons are diving for cover under tables and talina is like okay well i killed my dad and she, she just quietly walks out to, I think, it, her dad's car, which is parked out front. 
She's sitting in the car alone, and Vance sort of materializes in the doorway of the bar. And he's standing in the doorway, and he sees Talina sitting in the car. She, she's holding the revolver. It's loaded. And she just puts the barrel in her mouth. And camera cuts away to Vance, and you hear her pull the trigger. And Vance is just watching from a distance. Doesn't try to stop her. He just has no emotion when it even happens. And he kind of just holds his gaze on the car for a few minutes. So (laughs) after this, we cut to our, our gang of bikers jump on their bikes and ride off into the night. And that's basically the end of the loveless. And uh, I like this movie a lot. The, um, this is kind of an older Blue Underground release, but Blue Underground puts out some really good stuff. I know that it, there's a newer release of The Loveless. It may be from Arrow Video on Blu-ray, I think. And it's got like new artwork and it probably has a whole bunch of cool special features. They tend to have that. But yeah, I like The Loveless. I definitely recommend it. It's a really chill movie. It's not terribly intense or challenging or anything like that. And um, in terms of a period piece, it, it's just it, the amount of detail that went into it was, you know, uh, first and foremost uh, with Catherine Bigelow and Monty Montgomery. They it, they wanted the look to be right. They wanted the whole movie to be steeped in Americana. They went. They wanted the Coca-Cola signs and everybody drinking Coca-Cola and guys riding Harley Davidsons and, you know, American flags and bars and small town, American South. Like they just wanted, they wanted that feeling. They wanted that look and they achieved it. And it, I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. And it's, it, it puzzles me how many people don't like this movie. I don't know what exactly they were expecting. This movie, you know, if you're looking for uh I don't know the movie stone cold with uh, Brian Bosworth. If that's the movie you're looking for, this is not it. <laughs> Although stone cold is great movie. Wonderful movie. Uh, very violent. A lot of uh, Nazi imagery and titties and drugs and people exploding and being thrown out of windows. It has everything you could possibly want um, in a biker movie. But yeah, the loveless is not that. It's it's a lot more. It's a lot. It's a, it's a slower crawl. It's very subdued. You know, it's if you're I don't know. It's if you're into Jim Jarmusch films, it kind of has the same pacing as one of his movies. But um, yeah, go check out the loveless. Now let's move on to our next film. Our next film is The Untold Story from 1993 and directed by Herman Yao and starring Anthony Wong. The copy that I have is from a company called Unearthed Films. And uh, this is a really good release. It's got really good uh, commentary tracks and special features. And they always have like really good kind of like mini documentaries in the uh, special features. So 
Very nice. Very nice indeed. Now, the untold story, okay, is... So it came out in 93. And it came out at a time where... And it came out in uh, China. Okay, so... China had a whole way of uh, rating their films. That's different than here. Most countries do. But um, the untold story would fall under uh, what's referred to as uh, category three. There's three categories. There's like category one is basically movies for babies. Category two is like uh, general audience, maybe PG-13. Okay. If I had to compare it to our rating system here in the States and category three is sort of hard R rated NC 17 level movies. Okay. So three is like <laughs> three is like a lot of violence, uh, brutal, gory scenes of depicting pain and <laughs> torture and drug use. Uh, sexual scenes, both uh, consensual and non. A uh, lot of naughty, dirty language. Okay. Category three. It's a whole thing. And category three films were huge back in the day. And uh, they they really are they're kind of in that sweet spot for people who really want to you know, who are into like cult movies. At some point, you come around to uh, sort of the, uh, well, specifically the kind of like Hong Kong film cinema category three movies, okay, like that. And one, actually, I reviewed on the last episode, episode 64, uh, there's a movie called Calamity of Snakes, and which was a Taiwanese film, but still, I believe, could be wrong. I believe it still uh, falls into the um, category rating system. Um, yes, c- category um, Calamity of Snakes <laughs> is uh, on episode 64 of Skeleton Factory. I uh, urge you, if you want to see a really weird movie about literally tens of thousands of snakes killing a whole bunch of people in a uh, high-rise apartment complex... Real snakes. Um, <laughs> go check that out. I warn you, there is a lot of snake death, real snake death in that movie. So uh, beware. But again, that's it's a Category 3 movie. That's the type of stuff that takes place in a Category 3 movie. And then you have, uh, let's see, I think uh, Crime Story, the Jackie Chan film. I think that was a Category 3 movie. And uh, Dr. Lamb, that's a Category 3 movie. The Ebola Syndrome. Movies like that. Movies like Human Pork Chop. The list goes on. I, I It's sort of the... Um, it's kind of like the video nasties in Britain. Because you had the, B, uh, was it the BBFC, which was the ratings uh, system board... Uh, the, well, basically, the 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 organ. It's kind of like the MPAA in America. The BBFC uh, rates movies in Britain, and they made a list that was referred to as the Video Nasties, which you may or may not know about. And those movies 
developed a huge cult following. You know, you have nothing. There's nothing really that crazy on it. You know, it, but at the time, those movies were just seen as like outlaw. You know, movies like the first Evil Dead movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Anthropophagus and stuff like that. This category three is sort of the equivalent, but they're not trying to be. They're not trying to ban category three movies. There's it's just you know, there's no banning these things. They're just this is their category. Again, I compare it to something like a like an NC seventeen film. So let's go ahead and jump into. The Untold Story. Now, <clears throat> The Untold Story is based on what was dubbed the Eight Immortals Murders. Okay? Uh, the movie was based on real events. And the real events was an, it was the mass murdering of a family in a restaurant called the Eight Immortals Restaurant. Okay? Hence, the Eight Immortals Murders. So... This movie, I think, kind of rides the line between accurate, true crime. I mean, as accurate as we know. There's a lot of kind of theories about how exactly the Eight Immortals murders happened, how they took place. You know, but the I'm just going by the official story. Okay. Um, the Eight Immortals uh, murders, you know, this, this is probably the most accurate depiction you're, you know, at least what exists now of that crime, that specific, uh, series of murders. So it kind of rides the line between that and sort of like, um, Hong Kong specifically has a way of no matter if it's a serious crime drama or, you know, gory horror film or, movies that kind of depict you know sexual assault or something like that like anywhere anytime there's some kind of like violent heavy content in a hong kong movie there will always be like some weird humor injected kind of in the cracks and crevices of every movie there'll always be some kind of like kind of wacky random characters for some reason uh people making jokes People kind of being goofy, and that's 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 kind of specifically a Hong Kong film industry thing. You know what I mean? Like like something for more like regular movie goer people. Like if you've seen any Jackie Chan films from that was filmed in Hong Kong, you know you deal with like there's people. You know there's kind of police dramas and police procedurals where people are shooting at each other and there's kidnappings and Jackie Chan has to like save the day. Right. But just his style, that sort of like kind of like <laughs> Chinese circus performer background he has. It's like, there's a lot of humor in these serious violent movies, which makes Jackie Chan's movie. So awesome. Right. They're so physical and so they're so stunt dependent, and there's usually the, there's just the just the story of any one of his movies is very serious, but there's all this kind of humor kind of laced through the movie, you know, with with varying results, but for the most part, really well done, right? That's that's like a Hong Kong thing, but then when you get into like category three movies and specifically the untold story. 
that we're talking about, you have like true crime. You're, you're talking about murder. You're talking about rape. You're talking about killing children. You're talking about uh, yeah, police brutality. You're talking about all these really heavy things, but then there's like goofy shit, <laughs> like laced through the story that's kind of jarring, but... Once you kind of see a few of these types of movies, like you kind of get what you get it. You understand like, oh, this is, it doesn't seem so out of place or weird. So if you, if you do see the, uh, untold story, just, just a heads up because <laughs> there's going to be this sort of juxtaposition between the most horrible, violent depictions of what humans can do to each other along with. Uh, wacky madcap humor. <laughs> so, so the movie opens with a flashback. Okay, we flash back to 1978. A small apartment in Hong Kong. The uh, character of Wang Chi Hang, who is played by Andrew Wong or Anthony Wong. Wong Chi Hang and another man are having a dispute over money's owed after a mahjong game. Okay, one thing leads to another, and Wong Chi Hang smashes the other guy in the head with like this little small round folding table. It's like big enough to hold a bowl of cereal or perhaps a Pizza Hut personal pan pizza. Okay. So as soon as the guy turns his back, and bam, he just crushes the dude in the head with it. And once the man's on the ground, Wong douses him in gasoline, which is, of course, a staple item in any studio apartment, right? We all just have cans of gasoline laying around. And then Wong lights the poor guy on fire. So we see the guy burning to death, and the whole apartment catches on fire. And then Wong, like, dips out, right? And then we cut to Wong burning his Hong Kong ID card and then him getting a new ID card under a different name, but in Macau, which is right outside of Hong Kong. And Macau has kind of become known as like the, um, the Las Vegas of China, basically. And it's actually bigger than Vegas. Like Macau is enormous. Very densely populated as well. And cinematically, I like this whole beginning scene. It's it's It covers a lot of ground very quickly without having to explain too much. Um, the, the burning of the ID, that is. You know, you see his Hong Kong ID. He burns it. And it's like a close-up of the ID card. It just burns and melts. And then you see he gets a new ID for Macau. And it's a great way of showing the passage of time between when he commits this murder and when he's like, okay, I need to I need to go into hiding. I'm going to change my name, move to Macau. Now, in reality, the character of watching Hang is... He, I mean, they in this movie they kind of change the names of the characters from the real people, but the character of Wang Chi Hang, he is supposed to be Huang 
Zihang, but the sort of like what happened during the passage of time between when he burned the dude to death and him arriving in Macau. Because in the movie, it seems like he kills the dude and he's like, shit, I need, I need to flee to Macau, change my identity. But really, like, th- th- there was a much bigger span of time. There was something like, it was like a couple of years or something like that. So Wong Chi Hang, he, uh, he fled from Hong, uh, Hong Kong and he fled to up north to uh, Guangzhou, which is north. And he actually like burned off his fingerprints <laughs> off his fingers. And this is the real guy I'm talking about. The real guy, the, the Huang Si Hang. He kills the guy fleeing. He flees to Guangzhou, burns off his fingerprints. And then in this time period, he gets married and moves to Macau. So several years pass by. And so the, the, also the murder where he, you know, he burns the dude to death was in 1973. Okay. So the movie also plays around with, you know, the actual time frame of when everything happened. So it actually happened in 73, not 1978 as the movie shows it. So, so I'm, I'm going to do that a little bit. I'll kind of go back and forth between what actually happened and the movie and just kind of compare and contrast a little bit. So in the movie, we jump from 1978 to modern day, which is 1986. So there's a woman and her two kids are like foraging for shellfish on a beach. When the kids come across this foul smelling bag that washes up on shore. And in the bag contains several human arms and feet that have been clearly cut off, thrown into the bag, and disposed of. So in real life, though, it was in 1985 when the human remains were discovered by some lone swimmer at the beach. Okay, So that part of the movie gets, that's changed a little bit. So the authorities determined that the remains were at least the remains of four people and more of severed limbs were found soon after on the same beach. So, but the movie doesn't really get into that part because that would involve a whole week of like discovering these body parts. They're just like, okay, let's just focus on the one, the initial bag of uh, remains. So this movie is like, instead of like a straight ahead police procedural director, Herman Yao kind of breaks up the narrative structure with like flashbacks and having like a parallel story of the police investigators on this case investigating. Okay. So you have, you have Wang Chi Hang kind of going about his whole deal. And then you have the police investigators are like hot on his trail. You know, they're trying to figure out who he is, where he is, and all this sort of thing. And I think it's done very well. So we have, <laughs> we're introduced to four officers um, who are sort of investigating, or the main investigators on this case. And they're led by 
uh, actor Danny Lee, who plays uh, the character of uh, Inspector Lee. He's like their boss. He's like their police boss. And and Danny Lee is like, that dude is, if you watch like kind of Hong Kong cinema, that dude's pretty famous. He's in tons of stuff. He's in City on Fire with uh, Chow Young-Fat. He's in uh, Law of Two Phases and another film actually about a real life serial killer, a movie um, called Dr. Lamb. And that's a movie about the uh, serial killer, uh, Lamb Corwan. So yeah, Danny Lee, it's, and he, he just exudes the presence of like authority. He seems like a guy who's like smart, smart, good looking, sharp, smooth, suave type of police guy and he plays that character in a lot of movies so so our our four but but his his sort of subordinates these four investigators okay so okay here's our here's our investigator team okay there's the character of Bo and bull king kong and robert okay so it's three guys and a girl who is is Bo. okay and I mean, their characters are ridiculously comical. You know, they're they're like something out of a like a like if uh, the police academy movies were set in Asia. Okay, that's how out of place and silly these characters are in this like serious movie. <laughs> so with with the exception of Bo. Um, who's she's she's the youngest of this group of investigators and she's smaller in stature not as experienced but she's really smart and she's just surrounded by these three goofy horny lazy and inefficient dudes <laughs> on her team so so I mean they, they set up that dynamic I mean there was the they Herman Yao went to the uh, to he went to the extent to be like okay let's give each kind of character their little character traits and kind of push the idea that um the cops are herman yow doesn't like cops <laughs> that's, that's what i that's what i figured from watching the movie and then i went and listened to the commentary track with herman yow and yeah herman yow definitely does not like cops so he doesn't mind portraying them as buffoons so yeah this is our crack team of professional investigators on this case and again Herman Wong did this purpose he had purposefully okay uh, and he basically, <laughs> yeah, was basically like it was like uh, he had he has there he was kind of like joined he was almost like interviewed during the commentary so the interviewer is like Oh, why'd you make the police so silly? And he's like, I thought it was funny. <laughs> he's like, and uh, he's like, and I think it's true. He's, he's like, uh, he's, ba- he's basically like, I think cops are a joke. So I just made him, I made him that way. <laughs> so interesting. Very interesting. And in the uh, Unearthed Films DVD commentary, our antagonist, uh, Wong Ching Hang, played by Anthony Wong, who you may recognize from another Herman Yao classic, The Ebola Syndrome, another Category 3 film. And um, 
he's also in Hard Boiled alongside Chow Young Fat, you know, so they're all in good company. His aggressive and methodical portrayal of uh, Huang Zihang is great. You know, he's believable. He's a manipulative monster of a man. And I mean, uh, I don't think he particularly looks like the real Huang Zihang or anything like that. He's yeah. Anthony Wong's character. He, he's not really, it's not really that accurate to be honest. Like the original, the real Huang Zihang was, um, a 50 year old man when these murders took place, which kind of lends to why people, um, you know, theorize that, uh, Huang Zihang had help killing and disposing of this, of this family, because I mean, there was 10 of them. One dude killed 10 people and nine of them in the same room, by the way. Okay. That's some old boy level shit kill nine people in the same room like that's some people are just like nah, I think he was too old to be able to pull that off but but Anthony Wong he's like a big dude and he he kind of looks unhinged he looks disturbed but in a way where if he was just walking around you wouldn't think anything like he looks like he can just blend into a crowd but if if confronted, you can see like the crazy in his eyes. So also Anthony Wong, he <laughs> like when he's asked about this movie, he was just like, Oh yeah. He's like, I just thought the whole movie was crap. I thought the screen, the, the screenplay was dumb. I didn't like the script and I basically just showed up for a paycheck. But I think over time he's kind of recognized like, okay, this movie has a cult following and people really enjoy it. But but yeah, yeah, Anthony Wong and the original and the real uh, Huang Zihang were physically not similar at all. I wonder what this movie would have been like if they would have had somebody who was like fifty year old man of smaller stature playing the bad guy. I don't know. I don't know. I I think I prefer the Anthony uh, Wong, just like big dude big dude with a shaved head. I think I kind of prefer that actually. So the police's forensic findings of the discarded limbs found on the beach actually leads to a fingerprint, a print match. And this leads the police to the eight immortals restaurant, supposedly owned and operated by Wang Chi Hang. You know, they get there. They're like, hi, yeah, we're just here to ask some kind of questions. Are you the owner? And he's like, yeah, I'm the owner. What's going on? And Wang Chi Hang, he's like a, a total bully and a creep of a boss who sort of lords over his employees. And um, the police kind of can see that a little bit, but I mean, that's, that's no, you know, that's just because someone's an ass doesn't make them a killer or, you know, means they did anything wrong kind of thing. But the police come in and they're just like, oh, where's the original owners? And they're like, oh, yeah, the, you know, they just sold me the place and they're gone. I don't know where they are. And the police are like, oh, that's kind of weird. But, you know, that's it's weird, but it's not too weird. Oh, one of his employees who 
lives in the restaurant. Okay, one of like the, one of his like cook guys. Um, he was talking smack about Wong Chi Hang to another employee. Okay, saying that um, he saw him cheat some people out of some money in a uh, mahjong gang uh, game the night before it, that was being played at the restaurant. And Wong didn't like this too much and ends up killing that guy, kills that employee after hours, um, ambushes him, butchers him, grinds him up, and uses his meats to make barbecued pork buns out of. And the cops get a lead that takes them to the Eight Immortals restaurant, right? And Wong tells the uh, the tells the cops that the owner and his family sold him the restaurant and then moved back to mainland China. And he hasn't seen or talked to him since. And everything seems on the up and up. Okay, the police really don't have much suspicion. They're just kind of following leads. They don't really have any, you know, they haven't really come to any conclusion at, uh, conclusions at this point. And uh, as the officers are leaving, he gives them two full boxes of barbecued dead employee pork buns and you know we get a scene of (laughs) the cops get back to the police station and they're like enthusiastically devouring (laughs) these these pork buns made of dead guy um you know we get all of our wacky detectives just like "Mm, this is so good and it's 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 funny but it's also gross (laughs) so even though, you know, they do their kind of preliminary walk through the restaurant and they question uh, question Wong and everything seems fine, but Detective Lee feels like something is off about Wong's story and wants his investigators to investigate further. So they offer him, um, the investigators, he's like, you know... His investigators are basically like, oh, nothing seems too weird over there. I mean, the guy kind of seems like a little bit of a creep, but I mean, nothing seems out of the ordinary. And Detective Lee's like, no, I need you guys to stay on this. He's like, I feel like there's something going on there and I want you to kind of keep investigating. And they're all eating their pork buns, right? And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, Detective Lee, would you, would you like one of these pork buns? They're so good. And it, and, Detective Lee like declines, you know, he says like, he's like, nah, I don't eat a barbecue pork buns. You know, you never know what's in the filling and then just walks out and it's little moments like that where you're like, ah, that's kind of funny. So, so, okay. Remember the guy that he killed and ground up and made into pork buns. He was telling another employee that he saw Wong cheating at Mahjong, like cheating people out of their money for uh, during Mahjong. So that employee that he told was this lady that's sort of like the hostess at the uh, restaurant. And Wong ends up raping and killing that lady. And also he fears that you know, when the police came in, they, they kind of questioned her briefly and he wasn't sure what she may or may have not told the police. So he's like, you know, this chick has got to go. So he, he ends up killing her too. 
So we can only assume that she will also become tomorrow's pork buns. The murder of the two employees and feeding them to customers and cops and from what I found is most likely not true. That's the whole just eating people, putting them in pork buns, that whole thing. From what I can tell is just rumor and urban legend. And could it have happened? Sure. You know, if you've killed 12 people in a restaurant, you know, you you may be, uh, including women and children, you, you might be sick enough to be like, let's put their meat in the uh, in the pork buns for tomorrow. Okay? So that's a great way of disposing of evidence, that's for sure. But from everything I've seen, that's probably not true. So in the interest of suspense and theatrical drama, the whole movie has our kind of dopey cops surveilling Wong. Okay, because they're supposed to just keep an eye on him, see what he does. So they're surveilling Wong and they're waiting for him to make a mistake. And indeed, he does make a mistake. He gets caught throwing away like small bag of garbage kind of in the middle of the night. And the cops go and check out what he threw away. And in the bag was the IDs and passports of the missing family who formerly owned the restaurant that he killed okay and then after this scene he's trying to he tries to sneak out of the country okay so he basically goes to um, I don't know wherever he was going airport train station wherever it was and he's trying to get out of the country because he's like okay I, the cops are on to me I'm out of here and but the cops found the IDs so they know the family did not immigrate to mainland China. How would they get there without their IDs and passports? So that's cause to to get this guy. Now, this whole part about like finding the IDs and like this, that whole scene of him being surveilled, him being caught trying to sneak out of the country and he puts up a big fight and yada yada whether or not that whole part is true is sort of unknown but Herman Yao's aversion to police suggests that maybe he took some liberties um, you know just to kind of spice up the truth because it's more exciting if you know guy tries to sneak out of the country and they have to kind of chase him down and he puts up a fight it's just you know it's more fun on screen but who knows point being he does end up getting arrested now nevertheless the real life Wang Hang was arrested charged and convicted of the murder and dismemberment of the 10 members of the Zhang family including you know I mean this is the owner his cousin his wife and her aunt as well as their five children between the ages of 7 and 18 and and all of this in the same night, you know, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy of a murder. And all of this is over an unpaid gambling debt. What he owed him in total was like 600,000 Macau money, but in American dollars adjusted for inflation is about $240,000 of today's money. 
So that's what got his entire family murdered by this guy. So the last of the family's remains were found four years later at a local dump. So, and from what, from what I found, there's um, what was left of the remains of the family were cremated and, and spread by the, you know, surviving family members. So there was some level of closure, but still the whole thing is the real life story is just awful. So in, in the film, Wong gets caught for his crime and is sent to prison and he's immediately like beaten up by the brother of the slain former owner of eight immortals, the character of Ching Poon. And I mean, they just beat the tar out of him to the point you almost kind of feel bad for Wong and he gets he like he gets beat with like bars of soap inside of a tube sock and Cheng Poon like crushes his nutsack with his bare hand and holds his head down in a urinal and pisses on the back of his head like just total brutality and f- from what I can tell there was a Cheng Poon character in real life um, I'm not sure if he was actually related to the Zhang family. It's possible, but there was a guy who, as soon as Wong got into prison, this dude just fucked him up like immediately. So, but in, but in the movie, uh, after this like horrible beating, Wong tries slashing his wrists on the edge of like a rusty old metal mop bucket, kind of sawing at his wrists against the jagged edge, and blood is gushing out and. Then once the vein in his arm is exposed, he like bites the vein open and blood like sprays on his face. You know, it's we're starting to get into some like Ricky O vibes. Okay. <laughs> like once we get into the prisons, but remember the guy in the beginning of the movie that Wang Chi Hang lit on fire in his apartment back in Hong Kong. Remember him? Well, a detective from Hong Kong comes to inspector Lee in Macau and explains that he has proof that Wong burned the guy to death, uh, changed his name and moved to Macau, and he wants to extradite him to Hong Kong. And Lee says, if he has some reason, like for some reason, if they don't get enough evidence to definitely put him away for good, then, um, you know, then he'll gladly hand him over. But Inspector Lee doesn't want to lose face. Okay. He wants to like get this guy, um, he wants to get this guy and specifically he wants him to confess and he's got to get a confession, right? So he concocts his plan. So while recovering at a hospital, cause he slid his wrist, um, Lee inspector Lee has a doctor in Jack Wong with, uh, with speed. Okay. Three times a day for three days. So he just can't sleep. And after the third day, the speed injections will just stop and his body would start to crash. Okay. Why do this? Well, Wong is restrained in a straight jacket. He's beaten during this time. He's refused sleep. He has water injected under his skin that caused these very painful looking boils, making it painful to lay down on his back. He has bright light shined in his face endlessly. He's interrogated for three straight days until he finally cracks. Okay. So finally Wong does confess 
And then we get a flashback to the murder of the Zhang family and dismemberment and all of its shocking, gory detail. I could get into more detail, but I'd suggest seeing it for yourself. Wong even confesses to making human pork buns and feeding them to the very police officers that are torturing them and are kind of wacky cops. When they hear this, they sort of jump up and they all sort of fight over the hospital room sink to vomit in it while inspector Lee kind of looks over his shoulder and says, well, I'm glad I didn't eat any. Very nice. A perfectly executed joke set up earlier and paid off. I do appreciate that about the movie, but um, knowing that he's going to be completely doomed in court, Wong is eventually taken back to his like communal cell block where he quietly slits his other wrist and bleeds out on his bunk and dies. And that's the end of the untold story. And the movie kind of goes in and out between real life and fantasy. But for the most part, the actual eight immortals murders is depicted at least according to the official story, pretty accurately. The uh, eating of human pork buns. That's more or less <laughs> fabrication. Um, but, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? Anyways, that is the end of the untold story. Uh, I like it a lot. I recommend it. These types of movies I do enjoy. Go check out some... Uh, category three films from um, from our friends out in uh, out in uh, China, and uh, I mean they're not for everyone, but uh, I do like them very much. You can go to uh, unearthfilms.com where our uh, you know uh, ran by uh, Stephen Byro, who recommended a calamity of snakes to me for episode sixty four. Um, Unearth Films has a great release of the untold story. Like I said earlier, um, it's got great special features, you know, really good stuff. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was fun. It's a good little double feature for you. Two completely different movies, but, um, you know, this is what you come to expect here at Skeleton Factory. Well, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. I can also be found on Twitter at SF podcast ATX, and you can help support the show at patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory, where I have a bunch of free audio episodes and there's some video episodes as well behind a paywall. Um, for only pennies a day, you can support this uh, ragtag operation I got going over here. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Skeleton Factory podcast, rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. I am Adam. I will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.